I'm going to skip all the reviews, so if you weren't here previous weeks and you feel a little disconnected as I'm sharing, well, I'm sorry because I don't have time to do any kind of review today. i got to dive right in, so I'm going to just bypass all the, the review stuff, and we won't even bother looking at any of this. We'll just go, and you're saying, oh, man, I'm reading fast. It's okay. We're good. I'm good. There we go. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Oh, that was good. Remember that? That was great. Oh, that was awesome. You remember that? Mm-hmm. Whoo! Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that was last week. Oh, yeah, helping uh, Ken with his definitions that he stole from Barry and I. Hallelujah. And, uh, you know, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then we talked about same wage. Yep, oh, my word, that was something else. God's not fair. We heard about that, too, because he isn't. If he was, we'd all be toast. Oh, all right, there we are. I want to talk to you about two brothers today. I want to talk to you about two brothers, and uh, these two brothers uh, give us one of the best stories in Scripture about the grace of God, and I want to share that with you today. Father, we ask for your help as we look to your word today. We're asking, Father, for you to uh, guide us and direct us through your Scripture. We're asking, Father, for you to reveal to us and give us understanding as we look to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I uh, forgot to mention today, again, we got at the end of next month coming up, we're promoting this early because we want to see as many people here as possible, workshop with Graham Brethrick. Uh, when you encounter the grace of God and you start looking at your life through the lens of his love, sometimes, you know, one of the byproducts is that we start to feel shame over the things that happen in our life and that comes along and God doesn't want us to walk in shame, he wants to set us free from that too. And so that con- uh, conference is going to be fantastic, we don't want you to miss out on it. Uh, pamphlets are at the back. Sign up. It's only $20. Includes your, your morning coffee and stuff. Includes your lunch on the Saturday. Includes all the materials, everything. Can't beat it. I mean, you just can't beat it. You pay 20 bucks just to have lunch today. So, you know, you go out to Montana's, you're going to drop more than that just for your lunch, right? So here you're getting the whole workshop and lunch and everything thrown in. It's fantastic. Well, let's look at the scripture today. We're going to turn the Bible to Luke chapter 15. And we're going to read the whole story uh, through this morning. Beginning at verse 11, Jesus continued, he said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together. All he had set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and he asked him what was going on. 
Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry. He refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat uh, so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. Thank you, Lord. What an amazing story. And, you know, we even talked a bit about this in our last series uh, for a few minutes one Sunday. And, uh, but this morning, um, I think that this story is, is going to reveal stuff to us about the heart of God in a fresh way and uncork some things in our spirit so that we can truly walk in God's grace. First thing we have to recognize is we have to take some time to look at the name of the story. You know, it's not actually in your Bible that it's called the prodigal son. It might be in the headings or something, but how many know those headings were not written? They're not inspired by Scripture. Uh, The Holy Spirit didn't give the heading the prodigal son, okay? Do you understand that? If you have that in your version of the Bible or whatever, uh, those headings are not actually inspired Scripture. They're just a way of helping you find stuff in the Bible. So the heading that this often gets given is the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son. And, uh, and we've heard that over and over again, and we've heard that name many, many times before. And uh, the name of the story is, is a result of, really, uh, a focus on the narrative of the failure of the son rather than the love of the father. You ever notice that? Uh, in fact, the, the son's not even the first person mentioned in the story. The father is. It says there was a man who had two sons. Uh, The first person introduced in the story is the father. And this is really a story trying to communicate to us uh, in parable that the love the father has for us. So I I, I vote for the name of the story to be changed to the father's love. Or to the love of the father rather than the prodigal son. We need a, a, a name shift on this thing. It should be renamed in your Bible, the story of the father's love. Right? And in fact, if you look at it in context, uh, I think it's right before it, you have the, the parable of the lost sheep, right? And, you know, just to give you some context, that story makes no sense at all if you take it out of the context of the father's love. Because it's just, just bad business to leave 99 sheep all helpless and all the rest of it to go after one sheep, count your losses, take the 99 home and let the wolf have the one. Do you know what I'm saying? Let him have some mutton. I mean, he's probably worked hard for it. So, uh, you know, but when you view it in the context of family and not business and not just ordinary life, it makes perfect sense. It doesn't matter if you have five children or you had 100 children. If one of your children fell in the river and was drowning, would you not do everything? You'd leave those 99 on shore. You'd dive in after the one. You wouldn't say, oh, well, I got 99 others. (laughs) We'll just cut our losses. No, it only makes sense in the context of the affection of love, of family. And so it brings us to this story, and the story, the emphasis here is the same thing. The affection, the love of the Father. That's what this story is about. So the first thing, the name of the story. Everybody knows it should be the Father's love, right? We got that straight? Forever changed in your mind. Someone says the story of the prodigal son. Oh, you mean the story of the Father's love? Oh, yeah, I know that story, right? Okay, so second thing, the request the son makes. The the younger son says, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now, How many know it's a pretty offensive thing to ask for? You know? 
I'm glad my kids have not done that to me, you know. They uh, have not come and said, Dad, you know, you're looking a little decrepit these days. Uh, do you think you can hand the money over now? <laughs> I'd, I, I, we'd like it right now. We just, uh, you know, we, we would like to, you know, enjoy it. And, you know, and you and Mom, you can go on, you know, social assistance or something. But uh, just give it to us now. I mean, that would be highly insulting, but it's extremely more so in a, in a Middle Eastern culture where everything was about passing on and, and, and order and sons and all the rest of it. And then he comes and he says, Father, give me, give me my share right now. And that's a horrible thing to request uh, from a father. But the response, I think, is even more remarkable because the Bible says that the father just divided his estate between them. He did it. The son asked for it, but he did it. Now, that tells me that sometimes we ask God for some pretty stupid things, and he still does it. You ever notice that? You know, you look back and you ask God for something and you got it and it didn't quite turn out the way you thought it would. Anybody ever have that experience? I have. And then I look back and go, oof, why did I ever ask for that? Wow. You know? And then, and then you realize, well, you know, sometimes God will answer our cries and give us things that end up to be, you know, a learning lesson. You know, a bit of a, a learning curve for us. Introduce to us some chaos in our life that we need to, you know, actually work through. And God the Father will, will, will you know, I used to, my dad used to say, he'll give you enough rope to hang yourself, right? You ever hear that expression? You know? Uh, and sometimes I think God does that. He just, he, he, he exposes the things that are in our heart by actually giving us our request. And he did that with these boys. He gave them both. Not just one. He gave them both. You see that in the scripture? Both. Well, we'll come back to that later. But he gave them both their share of the estate. All right. Uh, now, everybody knows the behavior of the son, right? Uh, so the Bible doesn't waste any time moving along and talking about the behavior of the son. It says that he took, a little time later, he took everything that it was his now, all of his, his wealth, and that he went to a distant country, and he wasted his money and in the King James, it says on prodigal living. Prodigal living. Prodigal living. He wasted it on prodigal living. What's that word mean? Well, prodigal, as an adjective, means spending money or using resources freely and recklessly. Wastefully extravagant. Right? As a noun, it's a person who spends money recklessly, extravagant way. That's not complex. But here's something that amazed me. In, in Greek... It's the word asotos, and it does mean, well translated in English, extravagantly wasteful, a debauched, prolificate lifestyle. Now, here's the thing that I found very, very interesting. That this uh, word, prodigal, only appears once in the Bible. You know that? The Greek word, asotos. It's only one time in the Bible, and it's Luke 11. In verse 13. It's right in this passage, in this story. It's the only time it appears in the entire scripture. Nowhere else that it's ever found. And, you know, I got thinking about that. Why is that word in there only one time? I mean, it's not like other people didn't live wickedly. It's not like other people didn't sin. It's not like there wasn't other stuff. But in some way, this son's sin was so 
an affront to culture and to everything else that he is described in a way that no one else in Scripture has ever described. His sin so great that nobody else is even in the same category. That just blew my mind. I was like, that can't be. That's got words got to be in there somewhere else. Nope. Only place. How would you like to have sinned in such a way that God, you and you alone have only one word to describe your sin? God creates a word just for you or uses a word just for you. How many have ever felt that way? I know I have. I've had times when I felt like I did something so severe that there can't be anybody else on planet Earth that's as much of an absolute serious sinful reprobate as myself. That's called conviction, right? And I'm sure there are many of us that have felt that way. I know Paul felt that way. Paul was able to say in, in his honest reflecting moments of sinners, he said, I am chief. I am the best. I am the worst, if you want to call it. I mean, he was able to understand how absolutely horrible his sin was in the sight of God. But this younger son was described in a way that nobody else in Scripture was ever described. And I can't help it but think that that plays a huge part in the understanding of God's grace in this story. That understanding the depth and the magnitude of the sin helps us understand the depth and the magnitude of his grace. Do you hear me this morning? Well, let's move along. Next we get in the story to the destitution of the son. After he had spent everything, and the Bible says in this extravagant, right, wasteful living, right, partying and everything else, uh, prostitutes, the whole bit. I mean, you say, well, it doesn't say that. Yeah, it does when the, the older brother comes at him later. He, that's how he labels it. That's how he identified it. It's what he saw his brother doing. You know, after he did all that, the Bible says that a severe famine hit the country. Somebody's got the blues thing going on their cell phone there. Yeah, everybody looking around. Who's got the phone? Who's got the Anyway, there you go, Barry. Of course, it's Elvis that's got the blues on his phone. There we go. but you know isn't it doesn't it often seem like when you've after you've done something really really stupid really bad (laughs) that the room becomes the very quietest to expose what you've done have you ever noticed that that you know, it was right after that, that him doing everything, wasting all that money, sinning as greatly as he did, that a famine hit the land and exposed the nature of his sin. And the Bible says he found himself in great need. I, I was thinking as I was reading this this past week, how much it brings me back to the Snackwells guy again. Because all the people he spent all the money on partying with, nobody's there for him now. Right? Nobody there for him now. No, you, you can put that on mute, you know. <laughs> There's nobody there for him now. Nobody there who's helping him now. Nobody who's there for him at all. And he finds himself in great need. And then it says the unthinkable happened. He hired himself out to a pig farmer. Hired himself out to a pig farmer. Uh, there is no greater horrible job that you could have as a Jewish young man than to work for a pig farmer. In fact, for the 
super religious leaders of his day, they wouldn't even touch a pig. They wouldn't even go in the presence of a pig. And they're probably thinking as Jesus is telling this story that this is the worst young man ever. If, if we had him in our midst, we'd stone this young reprobate for his behavior and the way he is living his life. And so this young, sinful, broken, needy, contaminated man finally has a realization. He has a realization, one of those aha moments, right? And uh, he realizes and says to himself, comes to his senses, says, how many of my dad's hired men, how many of my dad's hired men have food to spare and I'm starving to death? He's like, this makes no sense. Why am I doing this? Maybe, just maybe, there will be enough room around my father's farm for me, for me to go back. And that realization hits him. And that leads to his, what I call the negotiation. Have you ever made negotiations with yourself, right? Have you ever tried to make negotiations with God? Okay, God, look, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to uh, do this and this and this. And, and, you know, and when I come through, would you please, please, you know, forgive me or please heal me or please, you know, uh, fix my bank account, which is so broken, you know. But I promise, I'll do these things and we end up negotiating with God, right? And here he is, and you can see him pondering in the picture. He's, he's, he's working out his negotiation with his father, right? He's working out his negotiation. And, and the scripture says the negotiation went like this. He said, I'm going to go back to my dad. And I'm going to say, listen, uh, I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he's working it out. If I go back to dad and say, listen, uh, you know, I'm not worthy, but could you at least hire me? I'll work for you and get a full belly, Right? So he's working it all out in his mind, the negotiation, what that's going to look like. I'm sure that must have been an interesting conversation he was having with himself. And then the return. Verse 20 tells us that he got up and he returned to his father. And as he was heading home, I can just see him walking down the road, rehearsing those lines over and over and over and over and over again in his head, right? And uh, just, how am I going to talk to dad? This is what I'm going to say. This is what I'm going to say. And then the Bible tells us that while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And he ran to him, and he ran to him because he was filled with compassion for him. That is an amazing thing. And I don't think that his seeing his son a long way off was an accident because I think the father was looking for him all the time, hoping he would come back, hoping he would have a realization and, uh, and a revelation of his need for his family and his father again. So I, I don't think it was an accident that dad saw him a long ways off. And I don't think it's an accident the Bible records that it was a long way off because the father is always looking for his wayward children. Are you hearing me this morning? His heart is to have them come home. His heart is to restore. His heart is to heal. And then the reunion happens, right? The reunion. The father ran to him. He threw his arms around him. He kissed him. He should have shunned him. He should have... He should have uh, taken one whiff of him and said, I can't even touch you. I can't have anything to do with you. You smell of pig farm. I can't, I can't have anything to do with you. He should have at least made him get down on his knees, kiss the family ring, make him beg and grovel a little bit, right? He should have at least said, I told you so. I mean, he should have at least said that, wouldn't you and I? I mean, come on. I'm, I've even used that with my kids once or twice when they've done something kind of stupid. That, you know, you let them go and they make their own decision and, you know, you, you tell them, I don't think that's going to work out very well. And then they come back, what's the first thing out of our mouth? I told you so. But the father doesn't give him an I told you so. 
He doesn't do any of that stuff that we would expect he would do. He doesn't do any of those things that we've groomed ourselves in the natural to do. He rejects all of the line of thinking that was around at the time. And, 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 and some writers have even said he ran to his son and threw his arms around his son to protect him because his farm hands, his servants, everyone who saw the son coming would have thought to themselves, this, the son's coming back, he should be stoned. He, he's not even worthy to stand in the presence of the master. We can't allow this to happen. And if any of the religious leaders saw him for sure in the community, they would, have, they would have probably had him put to death. It's interesting to know that the father didn't run away from his son's sin. He ran right toward it. And no matter what your sin is today, God's not running away from you. He's running right toward you. There is nothing that you've done that would cause God to look the other way. Absolutely nothing. And that's why I take you back to the, this word prodigal. It's only ever used to describe this young man. And yet the father didn't look away. The father instead ran right towards him. There isn't a single thing that you could do that would make God look away from you. He is looking for you. He's been looking for you for a long time. And he's, if you're here this morning and you've been living below what God has for you, if you've been living in rebellion, if you've been, if you've been putting off uh, God's call and God's love for you, understand there's nothing you could do that would push God away. He's looking for you and he's running right toward you today. He's running right toward you today. Well, next part of the story is the celebration. It's the best picture I could find of them cooking a fatted calf in, the, in what appeared to be biblical times. Either that or just a bad bachelor party. But, uh, <laughs> you know, finding all these pictures is not really easy. When I decided to do it this way, I was like, my goodness, this is, this is getting more difficult than I thought it would be. But uh, this was the best one I could find. Uh, and uh, no, it's not a pig roast because they're Jews, okay? But it, it looks like a big side of beef sitting there, you know. Uh, a great big one because it was a fatted calf, right? Oh, yeah, there's rod at the back. So, rod, you, you can tell us that, that's beef, right? That, that's, that's beef. So, so, there we go. So, anyway, the Bible tells us that the son tries his speech on his dad, right? He tries the speech. He only gets half of the speech out. Do you ever notice that? He gets half of the speech out. He gets the part out where he says, I'm not worthy, but he doesn't get the part out that says, Hire me, right? And the father cuts him right off and he just says, Quick, quick, quick. Bring me the robe, bring me the ring, bring me the sandals. Right? He's, he's like, let's start the celebration. Kill the fatted calf. We got to have a party. My boy's back. My boy's back. My boy's back. Amen? So he brings out the robe, a symbol of his family affection, just like Joseph's coat of many colors, and he places it on his son. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Then he puts the sandals on his feet. You know, the, the, the sandals, their feet shod with the gospel of peace and says, everything's good, son. Everything's at peace. And then he puts a ring of authority on him. The ring that they would use if they're sealing covenants and making agreements and purchasing and doing things as a family. He puts that on his son as well. He says, you're back. You're back. You're back in every way. You're all the way back. You know, when God, we... We so many times think that the road back is a, is a long, convoluted journey of undoing everything we've done and all the rest of it. And it's more like just hitting reset on your computer. It's like hitting reset. That doesn't mean there won't be some things that, you know, as we learn and, and celebrate recovery, one of the 12 steps is go back and make restitution wherever possible. But the key is wherever possible. Sometimes it's not possible. 
But as far as you're standing with God, it's just reset. And we're back. And we're back. There's no hoops for you to jump through. You don't have to earn anything. You didn't earn it in the first place. Why would you have to earn it the second time? Right? Why would you have to earn it on the return? You didn't earn it in the first place. You don't have to earn it on the return. God hits the reset and you're back in. Well, the older brother is where the story shifts a little bit. It's all pretty exciting up to this point. But when the older brother, he's coming in from out, working out in the fields and he hears the music and the dancing. It says he hears the music and dancing. He hears dancing. That struck me this week. He hears dancing. How many of you got to be dancing pretty hard for someone to hear the dancing? I mean, just boom, boom, boom. He can hear the feet going on the floor. He can hear dancing. He hears the music and he hears dancing. So here's the music and the dancing and he asks one of the servants, what in the world's going on? And the servant says, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. <laughs> oh, the older brother's angry. The older brother's just fit to be tied. He is so mad. And he rages and he says to his dad, he said, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders and you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Never even so much as a young goat. But when this son of yours comes home, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, you kill the fatted calf for him. That's an amazing statement, isn't it? This son of yours comes home. This son of yours. What an awful way to describe your brother. <laughs> Can you imagine talking to your parents? about one of your siblings, and you say, well, that son or that daughter of yours, there's got to be just a wee bit of hostility in your life to talk that way. You know, I don't know that, I, you know, as angry as I've been with one of my siblings over the years, I don't know that I've ever described them that way, ever said to my mom, well, that daughter of yours. Right? But that's how he describes it. That's how he describes him, that son of yours. When he comes home, you break out the fatted calf for him. He can't even acknowledge that his younger brother is his brother. He can't even acknowledge that they're family. He can't, he can't even bring himself to that statement that we're family. How many know he's pretty thick? Sometimes, you know, your feelings of rejection, especially when you see grace poured out to somebody else, Your feelings of rejection go really deep. Sometimes the sense of injustice is so huge. So huge. Sometimes the righteous indignation is so mammoth in your life when you see God's extravagant grace poured out on somebody else. It even tears families apart. You know, I think that probably one of the most difficult things in our family, in our history, was when my uh, grandmother uh, finally passed away. And we discovered after my grandmother passed away that, uh, that our family, because my dad had predeceased my grandmother, that our family was written out of the will. So my grandma, uh, I had, <clears throat> my dad came from a family of four kids. And so my dad predeceased my grandma and 
And so between his death and when she died, the will had been rewritten, and, and our family was written out of the will. So it was divided amongst the three living siblings. And, uh, you know, my mom was very hurt by that. And how many think you can understand that, right? Um, and, 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 it, and it really impacted uh, our family. I'm thankful that, you know, I, I knew the Lord. So for me, it was much easier to just kind of let that roll off my back than it was for some of my own siblings. And uh, it was a tough time, very difficult time. And, and when you see that kind of injustice in your own family, I have counseled so many families that have, especially around estates and wills, Nothing exposes the human heart faster than money. I'm just being honest with you. It is unbelievable. And things said and things done and relationships severed that never get healed. There's just no room for that. And, but it makes me understand the older brother here. I understand the older brother. I know what it's like to be feel like there's an injustice in, in the family you just can't get past. But get past it, we must. And the way past it is to realize how much God has done for you. Realize how much God has done for you. The older brother, he doesn't have the rebellious spirit of his younger brother. Instead, he has something worse. He has a religious spirit. He has a religious spirit. He has a deeply religious spirit. How do I know that? Because it's the religious spirit that can't rejoice with the return of the lost. And it's because they've placed their confidence in their own performance. Look at how he describes his relationship to his dad. He says, Dad, have I not slaved for you all these years? Never disobeyed you. Never done any of these things. And yet you never even gave me so much as a goat to have a party with my friends. Right? And so, you know, he, he's so enamored with his own performance that he misses the love of the father. He ends up just as much an orphan as his rebellious brother. He's got just as much of a disconnect from his, of what his relationship to his dad is as his brother does. Just as much. Let me wrap this up this morning. Look at the response of the father here. The father says, my son, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he was found. Three things to observe in closing this morning from the response of the father to that religious spirit. First of all, the father identifies the older still as a son. If you're suffering from a bit of that jealous religious spirit, God still looks at you as a son. He's not even going to reject you for that. He doesn't reject the rebellious son for his rebellion, rebellious wild living. He doesn't reject you either. He still called him. He said, my son, my son. You're always with me. 
In other words, I've never left you or forsaken you. You're always with me. The father still identifies the older as a son. Then the father reminds him of what he has. He says, everything that I have is yours. Remember, the estate's already been divided. So what the younger son is coming home to belongs to the older son. Because it was divided, right? It's not the dad's anymore. But here's the older son not even realizing that it's already his. It's, it's like, he's like so many Christians walking around trying to earn the favor of God, working and laboring and slaving and doing all kinds of silly things, not realizing what you already have. It's already yours. It's already yours. And that's why we say it here at Devil's Stream all the time. You don't work for the grace of God. You work from the grace of God. You don't work for the favor of God. You work from the favor of God. Because it's already yours. It's already yours. Son, everything I have is yours. Remember, I divided it up. It's yours. All that slaving you do, you're not doing it for me anymore. You're doing it for some religious notion in yourself that you need to do it. you got servants that could be doing it. I don't know. Are you seeing what's happening here in the scripture? And then finally, the father restores the family. You notice what he says to the son? And I never noticed this until this week. He corrects him. He said, he said, we had to celebrate because this brother of yours. He corrects and throws back his words from earlier when he said, that's the son of yours. He says, this brother of yours. He doesn't say, my son did this. Your younger brother did this. He said, no, no, this brother of yours uses the exact same phraseology and throws it back at him. I think that's awesome. Woo! So dad did get one dig in, you know what I mean? Like, occasionally God by his Holy Spirit will get a dig in. How many know what I'm talking about? You've ever had one of those where the Lord goes, mm, and you go, oh, you're right, Lord. And he said, we had to celebrate because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. Whew, wow. The father restores the family. The father restores the family. So what did we learn this morning? What did we learn this morning? Right? doing this what did we learned this morning at the end of the messages so what did we learn today the father loves unconditionally amen we see it again in this story secondly the father welcomes the rebellious right if you're here this morning and you can relate to the younger brother god welcomes you this morning he loves you he he all he's saying is come to me come to me come to me he's not going to reject you he's not going to cast you away he has great things in store the father forgives the religious. He forgives the older brother as well. He just says, my son, everything I have is yours. I love you. He, he loves the religious as well. And if you've been guilty of being the older son, just saying, I don't understand why anybody would do this and this and this for that person who doesn't deserve it. You know what? Guess what? God still loves you. And you don't deserve it, but he loves you. And there's the final thing that you just need to understand from this story about the heart of God. And it's this, and it's this, and it's this, and it's this. <laughs> the father just wants his family back. Amen? At the end of the day, God wants his family back. He wants his family back together. He doesn't want... He doesn't want us to be running around all over the place, rebelling or, or getting caught up in a religious ideology or anything else. He just says, I want my children. I want my children back. 
And I had a plan to get them back. I used my own son's life to purchase their redemption, to pay the price for their sin. It's already been paid. It doesn't have to be paid again. You don't have to negotiate with God for your salvation and say, God, I'll do this, this, and this. Would you just have mercy on me? No negotiations are required. God says, I just want my family back. I want my family back. Would you stand together with me this morning? I don't know which son you can relate to, but I'll bet that you can relate to one or the other. There's a good chance in your life that you've been guilty of rebellion or you've been guilty of being religious. But at the end of the day, God loves you. He loved both his boys. He, he wasn't holding anything against the rebellious son, and he wasn't holding anything against the religious son. He pleaded with and reminded both of them of who they were. Reminded both of them of what they had. Reminded both of them of, of his great love for them. That's the Father. And this morning, I just feel like we would be remiss if we did not give an opportunity for people this morning to respond to that kind of great love. And so this morning, whether you say, I'm, I'm the younger son, that's me. I have been rebelling against what God has for me. I've been pushing against him, and I've been fighting him. I don't even know if he'd take me back. Remember, the word prodigal is only once in the Bible. A sin that nobody else ever did or ever created or was ever identified with. God took him back. God will take you back. God will welcome you with open arms. He has. There's nothing that you can do that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Neither height nor depth nor principality nor power nor things past nor present nor any other thing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He wants to receive you back to the family, into the fold. And you might say, well, I don't even know what I'm going to do there. Um, there's nothing special about me. I'm not unique. I'm I'm nothing but, you know, a rebellious, hard-nosed, blah, blah, blah. God says, you know what, we, we'll work on all that. The point is today, just come home. Just come home. Or you might be the religious one. You've, you're, you're tired of seeing other people come and move forward and advance and people getting saved and new people come to the church and why'd they get this and why'd they get that. And you might have all that just mounting up in your life. And you just say, it's not right. We need to get more strict around here at Desert String. We need to straighten some of this stuff up. You know, you might have any, I don't know what that looks like for you. But this morning, God loves you and he, and he wants to heal that too. He wants you to start working uh, from his love and not for it. No, no amount of work that you'll ever do will ever be enough to earn you the favor of God. You have the favor because of Jesus. You have it because of Jesus. We would just let my wife and I, I'm going to have Sherry come on up here. We, we would just like to, we would like to pray with you this morning as a mom and dad. We just like to pray with you. We have, you know, it's only a quarter to 12, so Swiss Chalet will wait for a few minutes for you. Or the boathouse, or Montana's, or if I keep talking about food, you're all going to run at the back door. <clears throat> but I really believe that God wants you to, to not leave here this morning. Uh, you might say, no, I'm in the family and it's all good. Great. But if there's either side, if you've got rebellion or religion floating around anywhere, 
Or maybe you have a, you're a father or a mother and you've got a child that's in one of those places. You've got family that's in those places. Let's bring it before the Lord today. Amen. So, Father, today in Jesus' name, as we come before your, your throne room of grace, Father, we're just here to pray and, and embrace your love. Your love for us is absolutely astounding. And Father, whether we've been rebelling or whether we've been religious, no matter where we've been, no matter what we've been doing, Father, you love us with an everlasting love. And Father, we want to receive that love today. So Father, I, I pray as, for those that must go in Jesus' name that you be with them. But Father, as we open these altars up for people to find and meet with God today, and as my wife and I just agree with them in prayer, and Father, your love is lavished upon them, I pray, Father, in Jesus' name, that, Lord, you would heal hearts, that you would heal uh, homes, that you would heal lives, that you would heal and restore the family of God, Father, to the place that you've called us to, in Jesus' name. All of this place, if you feel you would just want prayer this morning, and there's an area that you just want to lay at God's feet, Maybe you've been living in rebellion. Maybe you've been getting wrapped up in that religious attitude. It doesn't matter. Just come and we want to pray with you this morning. This is not about condemnation. This is about God's grace and God's mercy. Just feel free to come on up here this morning. We'd like to pray with you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.